Welcome to Psych in the City podcast, where sexual fantasies meet sexual realities. Join me as I learn and unlearn with the help of expert guests and friends, all the weird stuff we've been taught about our sexual and psychological selves. Through exposure, education, and conversation, Psych in the City hopes to reduce stigma around mental health and sexuality. I'm a licensed social worker training to become a clinical sex therapist and educator. I love learning about sex, human behavior, and psychology, and believe that having access to education and quality information is a human right. Not to mention, it enables us to make informed choices about the lives we live. This is Psych in the City. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first official episode of Psych in the City. I am your host, Sarah Kelleher. I am really excited and simultaneously terrified, so yay for riding into the fear. Uh, So for this first episode, I would like to give you a background on who I am and how I got into this work, and in the spirit of transparency and breaking down stigma, which is the entire intention of this podcast, I thought I would give you a little insight into my mental health and sexuality situation, if you will. To help with the sexuality and sex part, my first official guest will be my partner, Mark, and we will meet him momentarily. So the point of this podcast is not just so I can learn about sex and psychology in an effort to become a better clinician and sex therapist, although that is an incentive. The point of this podcast is exposure, exposure to different types of sex lives or maybe sex lives that we engage in, but we don't tell anybody about, or I just want to talk about the things that are taboo, mental health and sex. And I hope that through this podcast, we can learn more about sex and relationships and the millions of ways that those things can look. So as a friendly reminder, none of this podcast or any content on any platform that I have for all my millions of followers is meant to be taken as advice. This is general information and this podcast is not a substitute for therapy. So who I am, I am 29 years old. Actually, I'm going to be 29. (laughs) I'm 28 years old, going to be 29 like a month. And I have been a social worker for a little over a year. I have a long mental health history, which, and an interest in mental health and sex, which has continued to guide my work throughout my career so far and, and my interest and where I like to specialize or where I want to specialize. Um, I was exposed to therapy at a young age. I, my sister was going to see a therapist and I was young. So I would go with my mom and drive her to and from appointments. And I, I learned what a therapist was, which I thought was interesting. And I, I thought it was interesting what people did there. And I, started to become symptomatic of some symptom of some mental health stuff when I was a teen. Um, started to feel anxious. I started to get depressed and I was very concerned that I was not normal than 
my friends or other people or people that I knew. And I never felt like my insides matched my outsides. I was, you know, I had friends. I was a soccer player. I was, you know, sports girl. I dated people I wanted to date. I, I, I had these outward successes, but on the inside, I just felt bad. And I don't really ever, I never really knew where that came from. And for whatever reason, you know, I developed an eating disorder when I was 16. I developed anorexia and I went into treatment for that. And, you know, like with a lot of mental health diagnoses, it's it's been a lifelong journey. You know, it's been a lifelong thing that I have to manage as with my anxiety, as with my depression. And um, I just always felt connected to those types of topics. I just, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how else to describe it, but, and so, you know, as an adult, actually in grad school, I started to experience some obsessive thoughts, which I had experienced many years ago now, looking back when I was working through my eating disorder, but they kind of came back and I started to get thoughts about planes crashing and, dying unexpectedly, getting an aneurysm, um, climate change, the earth dying. I I couldn't get on the subway a bit. Uh, All of these kind of quirks started to, intrusive thoughts started to pop up. And as a result, I I went back to therapy and I, um, yeah, so it's been, (laughs) I mean, it's been a presence in my life for a very long time in many different ways. And it's, it's interesting. What I think what's, what has drawn me professionally to the work is that whenever I talk to people, I'm, I'm a pretty open book. And, and whenever I talk to people, whether it's like friends or coworkers, I mean, I can't really tell my coworkers everything because I want to, I do want to keep my job, but when it's just so interesting to me how I'll tell them things, I'll, I'll tell people things about a thought that I have or, or, you know, a thing that I'm going through. And some people will be like, oh my God, like that's nuts. Like I've never, I've never thought that once. Or I'll have people that are like, oh my God, I totally relate. Like have the same thought. And that to me is just so interesting. The variance in how we feel, what we feel, who feels what it just, it, it, it love it, love it all. In terms of sex and my sexuality, I started to masturbate from a very, very young age. I actually got caught masturbating by my mom or was told, was told on through a teacher that I was masturbating in school and I told my mom and, and I was really embarrassed about it. And, and I always felt more sexual than other kids. And, and to this day, I've never even spoken to her about it because I don't, I'm just terrified and I'm maybe I'll have her on. And, um, but I always felt more sexual. Again, this kind of, I always felt concerned of like, is this normal? Am I weird? Do other people feel this way? And I just, I always, it's just something, sex has always interested me because again, the variance and why people want what they want, don't want what they want, why we desire some things and, you know, repel others. It's it's just, it's very interesting to me. And 
I don't want people to think that they're weird just because they might not be talking to people that experience the same things. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't other people who are experiencing those things. So a little about me, and I don't know if I, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but I'm a white cisgendered female. I identify as a woman. And yeah, I'm just, I'm just interested to chat, I guess. So without further ado, now introducing my partner, Mark. Hey, everybody. Hi, Mark. Hi. Are you excited to be here? I'm so excited to be here. We, so we originally recorded a few episodes of this and, or a few trial runs, and we like had this long-winded story about how we met and what we loved about each other and all this kind of stuff. And then we were like, nobody cares. They don't know who we are. So we'll just take that out. So we'll just start with the juice, right? The juice. The juice. Let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. So we thought we would talk about three main areas of relationships. I mean, they may be main, but just three big parts of relationships, sex, insecurities, and communication. I read that these three areas come up most often as conflict areas for couples. So we would just we thought that we'd talk about them and what we've experienced so far in our in our coupledom. You ready, Mark? I'm ready. Let's start with insecurities, yeah? Okay. So a big insecurity that came up for me in my relationship with Mark was that all related to past relationships that he had had, which... I had never experienced this before. Um, Mark is not the first person I've dated that has dated other people <laughs> aside from me, as shocking as that may be. I, when we had first started dating, just a little background, when we had first started you know, going on dates and stuff, an ex of Mark's had called him, which kind of started the conversation of, oh, what's the, you know, we had talked about exes, I think in an earlier date and maybe a week later, you know, a, a significant ex had called him when we were on a date and it felt weird to me. I was kind of like, oh, what's, what's the deal with that? And Mark, I specifically remember stated that they spoke quarterly, which I thought was very odd and kind of just, I kind of a check went off in my head. I was like, what the quarterly okay all right I, I just want to jump in and say <laughs> i know that totally was weird but here sarah asked like how often do you guys speak and i said i don't know i think about quarterly <laughs> it wasn't, really it wasn't like it wasn't like our quarterly business call or right but that's initial i mean that kind of plays in because i initially was like oh they it's like a set you know quarterly meeting to talk about updates in their lives i instantly kind of read into the quarterly thing and we spoke about it and everything was fine. And then Mark was showing me a f something stupid on his phone one day. And you know how the iPhone makes kind of photo montages. He was showing me that. And then a montage of photos came up of this specific X. And so all of these kind of innocuous, unfortunate events had come up, which I think, you know, background story on me is that I have the capability of, like I said, in my little intro, I can kind of hook on to thoughts and 
create these stories in my head. And so, you know, one phone call, I had knew about this ex because of conversation, you know, just general, what's your history conversation that we had had. And then, you know, the phone call and then the photos and all of a sudden it just these, I became, I would say obsessed. I, I would use that term, although I'm mortified, but I had become very concerned and started to get these thoughts in my head that Mark and this ex weren't finished, that it was weird. I had never dated anybody that was friendly with an ex-partner, especially with the way that him and uh, with Mark and her had dated, you know, they dated for a while. And so it seemed like a real, a serious relationship. And I just completely ran with this little nugget of a thought. And Mark is seriously the most trustworthy person. And, and, but for some reason it just stuck in my head. And I think I, at that time I was looking for red flags. I was mm. looking for the secret, you know, I was, I think I am very concerned about being, you know, the deceit. And I was convinced that I was going to be made a fool of in some way. And I got really nervous. And so the picture montage came up. I think we had kind of a ta another talk about it. And these thoughts just got stuck in my head. And, and, and Mark and I did have a lot of conversations around them, um, around the insecurities that were coming up for me. And, and for a little context, Mark is sober and as am I, but I had never had a sober relationship before and Mark had had a sober relationship and Mark's kind of my first one that a lot of my previous relationships were around, you know, we were like party couples or like, you know, drinking and drugging and type of stuff. And, and that wasn't the case with Mark. And so for me that Mark had this big relationship in sobriety to me, it felt much more severe and serious. And it just, it, it made me feel threatened. And I don't think I'm depicting it as crazy, as crazy as the thoughts were in my head, but it, it I became very obsessed with it. Um, I think I became really jealous. I, we had extensive, I think, conversations surrounding it. And, and, um, it was hard because it was one of those things where he didn't want to feed into the, the, the insecurity that was essentially unjustified, but at the same time, it did make me uncomfortable. So it was something that we really, I think, had to balance out. And there were only, and this is another important thing. There was only so many times I could talk to Mark about it because at that point it wasn't really his work to do. I had brought it up once or a few times, you know, we had discussed it at length. There was, I knew the things, you know, they broke up for a reason. I I knew all the things. And for some reason, you know, it didn't matter to me. Like it didn't matter. And, and at that point I knew that it was my work to do. I, you know, spoke to friends about it. I started seeing a therapist, not because of that, but because just related things too that were coming up um, in the realm of obsessive thoughts, which I kind of was experiencing, I feel like. And um, so it was big for me. And I felt really embarrassed because I feel like I pride myself on being a confident, self-assured woman. And it felt like, no, I'm just another person that's threatened by an ex that's 
petty, stupid. It made me feel stupid and it made me feel really embarrassed. And, but I knew I had to go and figure it out on my own. And, and to this day, I am, I don't know what happened. There was a, you know, it was a picture, it was a call, whatever it was, a combination of things. It got lodged in my brain and that this, that I was never going to be able to live up to this relationship that Mark had had that for the rest of my life, that for the rest of our, um, our relationship, I was going to be compared to this big relationship. And none of that turned out to be true. I mean, at least I hope, but, <laughs> but it was really something that it made me look a lot at myself because I never prior considered myself a jealous person. I think I, again, prided myself in being the cool girl, like the girl that doesn't care about anything. And, and I loved that, you know, I loved being, Oh, like the hot, sexy, cool girl that like is so open. And the truth is that I think that's part of me, but also there's other parts that still feel insecure over irrational things sometimes. And that's also okay. And doesn't, negate the security that I feel within myself as well. So that was something that came up for me. Do you think I hit it all? Yeah, no, I I think, I think you pretty much, you know, told the story of it. Um, You mind if I say a few things? Please. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, careful now. (laughs) It was, it was challenging. Um, But, you know, I, I think I, I understood where it was coming from. I, I mean, first of all, uh, the the few things that set it off, the, the call, the picture, like they, they were very unfortunately timed, just just in the sense that- Right in the beginning. We, right in the beginning or close to it. We, we had just, you know, I think we'd been dating for like a month. Right. And, and we had very recently prior had a conversation. I remember we were at brunch. It was like a few weeks in. We just talked about, hey, you know, past relationships. Yeah. Something serious. And we'd gone through a few and, you know, this ex was my longest relationship uh, prior to Sarah. And, you know, so, uh, you know, already it probably had some significance, but I don't, I don't think Sarah gave a shit about it at that point. But then, you know, a few days later we're driving and this person calls me. So it's like, Oh, do you guys talk? I'm like, yeah, we do. We do talk sometimes. And I don't think it was a big deal in your, in your head at that time. Then a few days later, this picture of us, not like a nude photo or anything. Don't worry. Oh, thank like, God. It's just like a photo. <laughs> We didn't have nude photos and, together. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I guess I just, I understand why, why it got lodged into Sarah's head. Um, and I think, you know, I'm going to speak from, from my experience because it's, it's one of these flip sides where I understood it and we, I think we dealt with it well. We spoke about it on numerous occasions, but it was still tough because, you know, ultimately I told her from the beginning, told Sarah from the beginning, like, that relationship ended a long time ago. It ended for good reasons. You have nothing to worry about. It's, it's, uh, I'm still friendly with her, but that's it. But every time it would come up, it was like, is that really all that it is? You know, is there, there was, I wouldn't say it was a, a accusatory, but it did, it did feel that way. And so it was difficult to, uh, be understanding and try to work through it without being in a sense offended or, or hurt, like, like, how many times do we have to talk about this mm. and do I have to say the same thing um, for you to believe me? You know, have I given you any signs in any other way? Um, but that's not what it was about. You know, it was, as far as I understand from Sarah, it was, 
uh, you know, a lot more akin to like an obsessive compulsive thought pattern that once it got in there, when it would be triggered, it was just like, and this Boom. is another reason why that thought right. is valid, you know? And, and, and I've I'll... had those. I've had those about other things so I can understand. In fact, we'll talk about one soon. <laughs> so, like, I, I get that. I get that it's like you can totally come to believe the – well, in this case, I think the truth, but, you know, the the, the story that, that, that you believe – until something triggers that old fear or something yeah. and boom, it's like, you cannot believe it. You, you, you know, something's fucked up. And I think it triggered a lot of my insecurities outside of romantic of, of outside of romance that I'm not good enough. I am a perfectionist. I want to be the exception. I want to be the best. And so I think that Mark had a previous significant relationship to me was like, no, I'm supposed to be like everything. Like, great, this is another, you know, th these old thoughts got mm. activated of like another reason, you know, Mark's going to leave me and I'm another reason why I'm not good enough and another woman is better, all which may be true, but it, I, I don't know. It, it, and I think another thing which is important to, to remember is when I first brought this up to, to Mark, um, you know, I think right after the phone call or right after the photos where I think it really started to take hold we'd gotten into, you know, a conversation and an, an argument about it. And I had kind of said to Mark, I don't, I didn't give an ultimatum. I wasn't like, you can't be friends with her, but I think I definitely came at it in a combative way, which Mark then became defensive of like, well, I'm not going to give up this friendship just because you tell me to. And, you know, we've talked about this. I think what you've expressed to me, Mark, was that you felt you were nervous that this was going to be become a behavior pattern of mine and that I was going to be a controlling partner and that it wasn't actually the thing that I asked you to give up, the oranges, the friendship, whatever, not that I asked you to give up, but, but, but it was like when someone tells you not to do something, especially I think in the beginning of a romantic relationship or says a boundary or says whatever it is, I think the initial reaction is to get like, wait a minute, you're not telling me how to live my life and what to do. I mean, th does that make sense? Am I covering it? Yeah, I, th I think that was largely true. I which mean, then, I mean, go ahead. No, which which then your reaction was like, well, wait a minute. Why is this so important then? Wait, then then this is true. You know, like anything that was said, I just added it to the narrative right, of I, I'm I, correct. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah, yeah because basically, yeah, I, I, I had, you know, again, I don't remember the exact, I don't think Sarah by any means demanded that I no. stop speaking to her, but I think that she did ask, would you stop speaking to her, you know, and make me more comfortable. And I think I, I think I initially maybe even offered that, but then realized that it, um, very quickly realized that that would make me feel very strange. I don't think I ever asked that directly. I think I was hoping that that was the conclusion that you would come to or something and just expressing my uncomfortability. I, th but I, th I think, I think I offered it yeah. and then like quickly yeah. took it back because I realized I was like, Two things. One, I wasn't comfortable with, like Sarah just said, I wasn't comfortable sort of like um, making some sort of uh, doing it to boundary commitment. Yeah, that was to appease. And especially I wasn't comfortable when I, I, I felt that the, I felt that this friendship that I had was healthy and fine. And so I sort of felt like I'm not going to appease your insecurity. Like this, this isn't good. This isn't what I want. And this isn't what you need. I, I don't think, you know, um, for me to appease it. Like that's not helping anything. Don't tell me what I need. <laughs> and maybe I didn't say that right, but my, no, I know what you mean. My, <laughs> my, my point is that, um, uh, I understand what you were just saying, which is 
when I said that, then then that builds your mental case because you're like, why not? Right. I guess this is really important. Exactly. Suddenly, then it became the obsession became. Oh, wait a minute! You're not willing to do this for me. I just naturally stopped talking to guys I used to sleep with. Like, how dare you? You know, like when we met, this was you know. And I think the truth is that that it just. I am capable of playing into narratives. And I think that was a case in this, in this moment. And we have since, you know, completely worked through it, you know, insecurities yeah, still totally. arise, but in no, no way, shape or form, how it was in the, in, how it, in when we first started dating. And I think it just, all of my insecurities kind of came together and manifested into this one obsession. And then, you know, it, it, um, and it's just so crazy. I feel like we've talked about this, how like love and relationships can just make even the most rational person mm. wild. Little, yeah. Like just completely irrational. And the, and the truth is aside from this, you know, photo and phone call that I, you know, this photo of Mark had said they were dated. Mark said they dated. It's not like it was some secret, you know, it was like, there was no wrongdoing yet. I was convinced that there was. And so it was just, something that I had to work on, you know, we worked on it together. And then I knew that I had to take on it by myself because I think we have to, a big part of it is like, I had to take ownership and like, this is my thing, not a you thing. And until it becomes an us, until I really do truly feel that something is, that something is crossing my boundary, then that's another conversation. But Mark, what are some of your insecurities that come up? Sure. Well, I feel very exposed. <laughs> Well, uh, allow me to. So you need to get on my level, please. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I alluded before to that. I had a similar mental kind of obsessive thing go on, but mine was much. Which I was thrilled about, by the way. (laughs) Mine was much more sexual in nature, as opposed to sort of like romantic or 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 emotional. Basically, um, when when we started dating, God, where where do I start on this? I mean, the I'll I'll sum it up. I, I had erectile difficulties. I had, I had a hard time, (laughs) I had a hard time getting hard (laughs) and staying hard during the first few weeks of our relationship. Um, and it was total psychological thing. Um, and it's not the first time that this has happened to me. Um, like Sarah said, I'm, I'm sober and, uh, as in, you know, I got sober at some point and previous to that point, mm. all my sex and relationships were done at least the, f- the first time with a partner. You know, I was, right. I was always, you know, fucked up and inebriated, inebriated, so to speak. <laughs> and, and, you know, whatever anxiety I had about sexual performance and things was, was obliterated by, by drugs and alcohol. Uh, and from like the day I got sober, I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of performance anxiety and I had a lot of performance issues brought on by those anxieties because for me, I'm someone that if I'm worrying about it, if I'm thinking about, I'm worried that I'm not going to be able to get hard, then I'm not going to be able to get hard because that, that stress just absolutely manifests as a total disconnect with my body an erasure of my horniness and, and it doesn't work. And I've had that with many partners over the years and, um, you know, had success working through it, but it still pops up the more I care, to be honest. Right. Like, and I really liked Sarah. Uh, we didn't have sex for the first bunch of dates that we had for a few weeks for not even for a couple of weeks, but, yeah. but when we did, I was worried about it. 
I was thinking to myself, this has happened so many times. I bet this is going to happen again. I really don't want this to happen. And, you know, from day one uh, of actually trying to have sex, I, I had trouble with it. And um, we, the, the thing I was talking about with obsessive thoughts is twofold. One is what I just described, that when I start thinking about potentially having trouble getting hard, I obsess about it and I can't let it go. Because you're a guy. Become, you're supposed to be ready to fuck at all hours. It, exactly. I think I think that this is, at least from speaking with literally every guy I'm totally, with, yeah. this is not uncommon. This happens to some degree or other. And yet I think there's kind of an idea in the, you know, the 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 popular mindset that guys always want to fuck. They're always ready to fuck. And they can fuck anything, anytime. And there's this also this funny idea that women you have to like convince them to want to have sex they don't naturally like it and that also is obviously like not even remotely true that has not been my experience and i think also a part of it is like what does it mean if i can't get hard like what does that mean for me as a man what does it mean for me as a partner like there's so much we put it feels very emasculating it feels very kind of like yeah it, it feels um embarrassing right and and then the second obsession the first one was just that obsessive thought of realizing that i'm nervous about getting hard and having it be like that feedback loop that ultimately results in having problems right the the second obsession was with sarah like early on you know in our very first date probably but certainly (laughs) in our first few we talked about sex and sexuality and you know um and (laughs) Not in an aggressive way or anything, but Sarah just told me that she liked sex and that she was a sexual person. And um, I got in. <laughs> Do you not remember that? <laughs> not really, but uh, it's okay. I'm going to leave it in. <laughs> I specifically remember one of us asked. I don't know you, about you, Mark, you, but I like to get my tits touched. <laughs> I don't remember that at all, but I. But I no, okay. let, me, let me jog your memory. I remember you asking me from one to 10 how important is sex to me. Okay. And I said something like... I still stand by that. And I said something like (laughs) seven. And I think I was lying. I think it was more like a five. And you said like nine. And I was really... Taken aback by that. And and basically, these things played into each other. And then I was even more nervous. Because now I'm like, you know, Sarah's very sexual. Whatever anxiety I have about... I'm mortified. But keep going. (laughs) You know, difficulties getting hard. Now I'm like double worried about it. And I started to have like obsessive thoughts about all the insane sex that I imagined Sarah had had and sexual experiences. Like I would literally like be in these like mental nightmares sometime when like, you know, I'm thinking we're probably gonna have sex tonight. And I'm like, I hope I don't have any difficulty getting hard. And then I'm like, shit, I probably am. And then I'm like, that's not gonna be satisfying for Sarah. And then I'm like, Sarah's probably been at like these orgies and had the most amazing sex with like the the most amazing partners, you know, in like this, like, amazing place and everything's amazing and and you know mm. and all these thoughts swirled around and and um you know uh we're just really difficult to kind of like release from um so so far i've talked about the problem probably sounds like we never had sex <laughs> and like this was a nightmare it wasn't that bad i mean basically we we, we started trying to have sex and i had a couple uh t- two days in a row of basically not being able to either getting hard for for moments and losing it or not being able to it's really embarrassing i think it threw sarah was great about it but i think initially just like it would anyone i think it threw her off a little um but she was really supportive she told me that she wanted you know 
I could take my time. She knows it happens to, to men and you know, that she wanted that, that she was enjoying our relationship thus far and wanted this to work out. And I felt the same way. And I believe the third time we tried to have sex, which was on my birthday, it's for some reason, you know, uh, I think, I think she took slept it really over slow. Yeah. and the next morning we had a great night. She slept over. We didn't have sex. And the next morning we were just feeling really comfortable. I didn't, you know, I didn't have any of those thoughts going through my head. We started fooling around. Boom. I'm hard. We had great sex. Boom. Boom. <laughs> and well, I think also, sorry, not to cut you off, but I think what helped great sex, <laughs> mind blowing sex. I think what helped the both of us with our insecurities is really, you know, this is not a suggestion. It's just our experience of it really helped us, I think, to talk about them in an open way with the awareness that we could definitely support and help each other. But a lot of it, you know, I couldn't force Mark to stop being nervous or to, right. or, or to, totally. you know, Mark couldn't stop me from being insecure about an irrelevant, you know, a like an X that doesn't matter. And so, um, or doesn't whatever, but, but I think what helped us was really just releasing it to each other and just saying, Hey, this is what's happening for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that took off some of the pressure because it was just like, I think it came to a point where we just had to start showing our true selves pretty early on in the relationship because totally. these things came up and it wasn't like, I can't even afford to show face right now because I'm just freaking the fuck out. And I think that was really helpful for us. Um, so, so did you feel supported in those moments by me? I guess, like, could I have totally. done? There was the, you know what? There was one moment I didn't. And that was the second night. I don't know if you remember this, but the second night, was a short, like, it was just, it was disappointing. It was uncomfortable. Mm. And I think you felt uncomfortable too and left pretty quickly after. And I felt, wow, this, I don't even like remember, but I, I was, I was going, I was leaving. We'd been, we'd been seeing each other for like a few weeks. Granted, we'd seen each other every day yeah, for two we were weeks, hot but, and but, <laughs> but I was going away on a little trip and let's say I was going away Friday. We had tried to have sex Wednesday. It didn't work out. We tried to have sex Thursday. It didn't work out. And Sarah seemed pretty uncomfortable. I was totally uncomfortable. She left. It was kind of awkward. I was like, fuck, fuck, fuck. I fucked it up, blah, blah, blah. But then the next morning, Sarah called me and was really sweet and was like, hey, I know, like, I kind of pieced out quick there. I, I, didn't, I, did, I didn't mean to. And then, and said all of those things I said before. Said, this is normal. It's not a problem for me. I'm here for it. I'm he I'm here for it. I want I want this to work, even if it takes a little while. No pressure. And um, wait, I lost track. And what, what was the question? No, the question was just how it? could I? Was I supportive in those moments? Oh, yeah. You said yes. And and literally, she was so supportive. And you know, never again was anything but supportive. It was very consistently, you know. I think, and I think we talked about it a bunch, which helped to give her you know, I think I was able to tell her that the main thing that was going to help me was to really feel like the pressure was off. Totally. You know, it's amazing. It's like a little bit of pressure and I get totally disconnected from it. No pressure and I'm fine. And then you can, you can do whatever. But um, yeah, Sarah was really supportive. And I think that, that that was absolutely necessary. And I think, you know, we, we've brushed upon this before just in our conversations, but it feels like to me that sometimes the 
insecurities that women experience are sometimes more intimacy related and that Mm. the insecurities that men bring to the table are more related to like sex. And I just, that'll be another episode, but I, that's something that we kind of were like talking about, about how for me, Mark could have told me that he had had sex with thousands of women. And I would have been like, great, cool. And And, really genuinely. Sarah could have told me like, I had really serious intimate relationships with a bunch of guys and as long as she said they were over, I would have been like, cool, now it's me, you know? But <laughs> right. yet Sarah telling me about the sex experiences she had, and I'm like... Devastated. I'm scared. And and and, and, and we've for talked me, about yeah, this, I and, think. And for me, I was very threatened by the fact that Mark had, you know, an intimate, serious relationship prior because... I think, again, I put emphasis on like, what does that mean for our love? Like, what does that mean for us? And I think it's just interesting. And I want to move on because we, you know, in the sense of time, but, sure. but I, that's something that we've talked about. And so to bring, to bring everyone up to date on our current sex life, um, it's amazing. <laughs> How <laughs> long have we been dating? We've been dating for two years. Yeah, which just, will, yeah. just had our second anniversary, like uh, the beginning of last month. Yeah. Which will, Yeah. But so another interesting thing that came up for us was that I was lying about having orgasms with Mark, (laughs) Um, which I think I told you six months in. That sounds about right. Yeah. And I bring this up because A, you know, if I'm trying to reduce stigma, it has to start with me. And because I think it's really common, extremely common. I have, I have yet to meet a woman that has not faked it at some point or another. Maybe maybe I've met a few, but they're few and far between. And I ended up against the advice of two of my closest guy friends to not bring it up to Mark that I was in fact not coming as much as I had said that I was during our sexual trysts. During our sexcapades. Right. And how was that experience for you? It was, it was an interesting mix. And what I mean is, first of all, it really hurt. It really hurt my feelings. I felt, I think I felt a few things. I felt totally hurt because I felt lied to. Mm. That was the the obvious main thing. I had a a huge sense of how could you do this and and, and a flooding of thinking back on past sexual experiences. You've been like, which of these were real? Yeah. You know? Um, And at the same time, uh, you know, by that time, I was pretty much fully over the sexual, you know, worries I had at the beginning. Like, they had the sex had improved rapidly, but I still had some some insecurities there and some difficulties from time to time. But by the time six months rolled around, I don't think I had any at all. And that kind of like was a shock right back to the system. Like, oh, you actually are not performing well, and you know, Sarah needs to lie about it. Uh, on the flip side, um, I have to say that there there was a big part of me that even as as quickly as the same night as she told me, felt really good that she told me because kind of suspected it like um there were you know there there were certain times when 
we were having sex and Sarah quote unquote came and, and it just didn't quite add up. Like either the timing didn't seem right or I didn't feel like I was doing something that would have made her come, but yet she's gone. Okay, Bill Nye. So, so I, I kind of suspected it and, and it wasn't a total shock in that sense. I almost felt like, um, okay, so I'm not crazy, but you know, more importantly, it, it meant, you know, I, I knew how hard it was for Sarah to tell me that. Hmm. And I knew that it meant that she really cared about being completely honest in this relationship. And, you know, so that's something that we both obviously want and wanted. And, um, you know, I, I think I felt really good about that. Like, you know, she came out and told me this and, and told me just that. She said, I'm so sorry. I know how much this hurts. I wish I'd never done it, but I did. I'll never do it again. I'm telling you this because I want there to be total honesty between us. And, you know, I, 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 I whatever comes of me telling you this, I, I, I want that to be the precedent and that mattered more than anything. And, um, you know, she swore that she would never do that again. And I told her, you know, you never need to, like, I, I, I want to know, I want to hear from Sarah in a minute why she was doing it but i know at least part of the reason had to be you know you want your partner to feel like they're pleasing you um but of course it doesn't happen every time you know both partners are not always in the mood um and uh i just told sarah like i'd much rather you just tell me i'm not gonna come tonight i don't need to come tonight than pretend uh you know for for my sake um and there were a few times subsequently when I, when we'd have sex, Sarah would come and I would suddenly be like, in my head, like, was that real? And there's a couple times I asked her and- And I was completely okay with that because I was dishonest and I thought that you had the right to inquire about the topic because, and I wanted to make you feel comfortable, you know? and I, and. And I wasn't upset when he asked at all. You only asked a few times. Just a few. Yeah. And, and I think that's all it took. Like the first time I asked, I think I I was like, I think Sarah was faking it again. Yeah. And I asked and she was like, no, absolutely not. I'm not. And I, I totally believed her. Same thing happened another time or two. And I kind of just haven't doubted it since, you know? Um, and I'm a little lost, but is, is it, was there another question or was that the... Was that the whole uh, question that you were asking? Well, I guess I just want to talk about why I was lying. Yeah, please. And I, this is in no way a justification to the behavior. I, again, related to my intro, you know, I have always masturbated and I think I was kind of under the impression that because I had masturbated so much that like it was hard for me to come with guys. I hadn't really ever come before consistently with partners except for a few random one-offs unexpectedly. I couldn't really find a way to orgasm with a partner. And so I just kind of wrote it off. You know, some point in my adult life, I was like, oh, no worries. I'll just like masturbate. I still enjoy sex regardless it still feels good and i think on top of the you know with mark's initial struggles sometimes and i knew how much it got to him that sometimes he couldn't get hard i kind of had already 
I just was used to faking it. And, and I know, I think sometimes it enhanced the sex. It's like what partners want to hear. I felt pressured and none of that, you know, ult- it's kind of weird. I feel like I just didn't care enough to like learn how to make myself come with a partner or had a partner long-term, which again, you don't need to have a long-term partner, or even a committed partner to want to have good sex that you come from. But I just like didn't care enough. And I was like, that's going to take too long. Who is the time? Like who, <laughs> you know, I was just like, whatever. And then I started to fake it with Mark as I would with any other partner, essentially. And then I, you know, started to fall in love with him. And, and, and I was just like, I am not going to be in a partnership for the rest of my life for next week for this. It just felt like I can't fake it anymore. And the truth is faking it doesn't lead you closer to actually having authentic orgasms, which it's right. actually creating the opposite effect totally. because then Mark You'll never was, work on it. Right. Then, never right, then the Mark real, was the thinking, way. yeah. Then Mark was probably thinking like, yeah, I'm a fucking guy. Right, I'm a Mac <laughs> daddy. And in reality, it didn't feel any better than the other thing, which didn't make me come either, you know? And so I was really nervous to bring it up. And it's funny because both of my close guy friends were like, don't tell him like, just stop faking it. And then it'll eventually come up. But what am I going to do all of a sudden be orgasming around the clock and then never have an orgasm again? Like it just didn't make sense. So I was like, so I told him I was really nervous and I thought he was extremely receptive. And I have not faked it since because I think we both took the time to learn together how to make me orgasm. And And that felt really great. And I think along the way, I had to let go of some of the ideas that I had about sex that like sex always leads to orgasm. Sex is done when one person comes. And that's not the case. We've had a lot of sex where one person doesn't come or both of us don't or, or, you know, we, we play around, but it doesn't lead to sex, you know, kind of all this or stuff. Or we masturbate next to each other. Exactly. Or we do other exactly. Or, just, or know, we sex. have sex and then, you know, Mark comes or I come and then the other person doesn't, but then the other person will masturbate. It, you know, it's like all of this. I think it, you know, it, it, it opened up for me, a lot of doors because, and, and I think it really did. And I'm glad you were able to see that, that it really did mean a lot that I was telling you because I really did want to work on it. And I think I just was, you know, I kind of got caught in the story of like, God, I've been faking it. Now I can't just stop faking it. I got to tell him. And it did feel, it started to feel dishonest. And I think because I started to fall in love with you in a real way that I was just like, Oh no, like I can't keep this up forever, you know? And I don't want to keep it up. So that's just a little tidbit that I like to share because I think that many women or, or people in general who are sexually active don't want to tell their partners or don't know how to communicate to their partners that this isn't working for me, especially when there's emotions involved. Mm. And I think it was a good thing that I did. And I, you know, I will probably, I will never fake again. Um, with you or with anyone, you know, because it's like, there's no point and I want to have good sex and I'm responsible for me feeling good, you know, or at least telling you how to make me feel good. So anything else to add there? No, I, about, I don't think about that. So our final topic will be about communication because I think this is so huge for us. And one of the reasons why we've been able to stay, to get stayed together. Um, so we'll talk 
we'll give them the juice juice, the stuff that we've done poorly or do poorly or are working on. And then we'll do the stuff that we, that we do good, good the stuff, we, <laughs> the stuff we excel at. Yeah. So what would you say is a, or has been a problem in the past with our communication? I, there's a few that jump out. Um, and let's talk about whichever one of these you want to talk about first. I think on the one hand, there's, there's the kind of need to be right mm. argumentative nature that I think we, we both have at times. Don't maybe, lump in maybe, with you. Maybe okay. maybe more so. Right. But 51, 49. Right, right. <laughs> and, and then on the other hand, I think there's the uh, like need to regularly check in about uh, boundaries that we have, things we're trying to do with our time that sometimes we don't do. And mm. it's really like problematic until we do. Uh, so let's talk about the first one, the need to be right. Okay. So I feel like we get into this. So Mark is very intelligent. Thank you. So is Sarah. And sometimes I think this all comes, I feel like from earlier patterns, which with, you know, my family of origin stuff, sometimes, and yeah. And, and yours, um, I didn't want to assume, but that's what I was thinking. You know, my dad. <laughs> and I, we will get into conversations and where am I going with this? How should that, I describe it? That, that basically like, I am very argumentative. Mm. I always am. If, if something comes up that I either have, uh, you know, overtly disagree with, or more often just have heard something else or want to talk about, I often enter things with something of an argumentative tone. And then I think, uh, and I'm not necessarily trying to attack at all. I'm more looking to debate, but. And I'm not Sarah, a debater. Yeah, that's not her go-to. And although I think she's, she's humored me a bit more over the. I have over to, you and, won't shut up. But, but on the other hand, Sarah uh, has maybe, maybe a bit of a defensive bone when she hears that kind of tone mm. and feels it to be, uh, you know, maybe not a personal attack, but almost like for her to say something and then me to challenge it is like challenging, like, are you, are, are, is she a fucking idiot or something? When, you know, when that's certainly not my intention, but my intention is like basically to debate it, which I also think Sarah finds a bit annoying just so as the, a mode of being. So a perfect example is our classic, um, Mark and I were in Antigua with another couple. Well, this, this is an example of me being a prick. Honestly. No, but it, but it, 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 it relates to our larger dynamic. Okay. So we were on vacation in Antigua with another couple who we know very well. We were playing tennis, which sports are kind of a sore spot for me in general. I'm extremely competitive. <laughs> Wait, I gotta say, bad sport doesn't even, if you want your tennis racket bent within an hour, play tennis with Sarah. She'll hit it on something. Out of anger. All right. So there was, we were on, a, you know, we were on an island and there was a mango tree right next to the tennis court and the mangoes weren't quite ripe yet. So they looked green. They were they, a bit petite. They didn't look like classic mangoes, the ones that we're accustomed to. So I picked it up and I peeled the skin a little bit and I was like, oh, this is a mango. It wasn't super yellow the way a mango is because it was still not fully ripe. Right. And the one of the the girl that we were with of the other couple, she was like, oh, you know, we she kind of took a bite of it and was like, that's a mango. 
And when you cut, when, when, when we opened it, the mango had the big pit inside that kind of looked like a macadamia nut. And Mark instantly is like, that's a macadamia. And I'm like, no, I, it's, it's a mango. So I'm absolutely 100% certain. He's like, no, no, no. It's a, it's a, it's a macadamia. And I'm like, and then this is when my sensors start going off. Is it, and because I feel like Mark gets, Mark makes a statement at it as if it's a fact. And whereas me, I feel like I, what my statements aren't facts. And why do I have, why do I get an interrogation when you don't? So I was like, dude, I'm a hundred percent positive. It's a mango. And Mark then says, I've been to a macadamia farm. La, 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 la. So clearly the tennis match is ruined. We were already playing really poorly. We kind of just get into this argument and then we're just kind of like, we both kind of shut down. I think I start to get defensive because I'm kind of like, how dare you? You think, you know, everything you argumentative know-it-all weirdo. And I think Mark and, is and like, I start to yeah. agree a little bit. Like I, I start to feel a bit bad because then I'm, you know, I'm like, whoa. And I'm being a bit of a prick. Like, I don't know why I'm so fucking sure this is an academia and or why I say it like I'm so sure. But we're already a bit too entrenched. But then it's I, an argument. Exactly. Point. And so we go back to the hotel room. It's kind of the elephant. It's the mango in the room. <laughs> and we're kind of like, so should we talk about the mango thing? And Mark kind of admits. So, well, first of all, this is very pertinent to the story. Mark admits that he actually went to a macadamia farm when he was about six and can barely remember it. But in the argument, he he acted as if he had just came from the macadamia farm. So he was like, I'm certain I've been to a farm. I'm like, what? Okay. So we, we talk about it. I think we, we, we instantly have to, def- the, I think the good thing about us is that it's so obvious when there's tension that yeah, we, we have to diffuse can't live it. With the yeah. tension. it we, we, we diffuse it immediately. So we think that we fall into this dynamic of, we do fall into this dynamic of Mark will say something in a, I think a certain tone, which may or may not be accurate at all times. And then and it could be non-argumentative. It's just a statement, but he says this tone or questions me in a way that I immediately get defensive. And then for the rest of the argument or conversation, I have this narrative in my mind of Mark always thinks he's right. He's a know-it-all. He thinks he's better. And I think I then can't hear the rest of the argument or the rest of the conversation because I'm so set in Mark thinks he knows it all. And, and I, then, I think it's worth noting that not all of these are as, not all of these are like the Mango Macadamia situation in terms of like, I was out of control being a prick that time, but sometimes it's not that, uh, sometimes it's not that nature of conversation. Sometimes no, it's, it's more of yeah. like a, a discussion about a topic that we both have opinions on. Right. As opposed to like a dumb fact or whatever. <laughs> right. As opposed to a fruit. But, but the, but the, sometimes the, the thing still sets in. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, so it's hard saying. to describe. And I feel like I'm not depicting it that well, but we get into this dynamic of, we start to be concerned with who's more right. And I think we're both talkative talk, you know, communicative beings. And then the initial issue gets lost. And then we both kind of get upset that it's turned into something that 
maybe wasn't even the original topic, but now we're just upset with the way that we're talking to each other. I, I can't, I'm trying to describe well, I, it. I feel like, I feel like something that'll happen is, is that, uh, it could start. Innocently. Like you, you say something and I make a counterpoint or something. And then I think sometimes you feel attacked. Right. And then I think sometimes you shut down a bit. Right. And then I feel annoyed because I end up feeling like, can I not say an opposing point of view? You you can say something to me, but then if I respond, we can't talk about it. Or you're upset that I'm, mm. that I'm responding and you know, like uh, that, that I'm not agreeing with you or something. And of course that's not seeing exactly how it is either, because I totally think that I often respond in a way that's a bit aggressive. Um, well, I think and I also get off. triggered by, by your tone. And you're, and you're being pa but, passionate uh, and I'm like, you're being crazy or aggressive. And the, this, I, I, I guess I want to say this is also, you know, there's just a difference. This is this way of, of arguing is a way that I do regularly with some other key people in my life, with my family. Mm. This is a hundred percent how it goes. Uh, and there, it, it, it's, it's not combative. There's no hard feelings. It's literally just like, it's a very common thing at the dinner table for someone to say something like we're talking politics. Someone says something, then someone else what is like, what do you think of the war of 1912? <laughs> no, like someone says something, you know, about a current event. And then someone else is like, that's not true at all. Actually this. And in, and in my family, then the person who said it will be like, wait, really? And then they'll be like, yeah, bop, bop, bop. And then someone else will be like, that's bullshit. And then, and it'll just go on and right. there's, there's no hurt feelings. And that's also how it kind of is with, with, uh, with Warren, with one of my best friends, there's generally, or even with him, it's a little different. It could be like, that's a mango. And I could be like, that's a macadamia. And he could be like, no, it's not. And I could be like, yes, it is. And then we'll look and it's a mango and he'll be like, you asshole, but then it's over. You know what I mean? And so I think I was just used to that. And I think, uh, I was, insensitive to the fact that someone else would take that kind of argument differently. And I think I can get defensive. That's my part in it. And I think that it's just something that we, it's, it's a dynamic that we work on because I think then we end up feeling bad that we're in a weird state when we were talking about something about that doesn't thing. matter. Yeah. And then we kind of get weird. So that's something we're working on is that we, I think we argue a little bit differently or we, we, you're more debatey. I can shut down if I don't feel like it. And then I am easily, I think also Mark is very strong in his convictions. You will say something with complete, even if you are unsure, you're just very <laughs> confident in how you say it. Whereas I, not a good I think I, yeah, with where I think I need a minute. And then I think, I start to get frazzled because you're so confident. And then I'm like, Oh my God, like, okay, just, um, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> like, but I don't know. I, I hope that made sense, but something that we do well. Do you want to tell them about mangadamia? I told them about mangadamia, but not that we have the word mangadamia as our, as our bring back. Oh, we decided so, that so then, mangadamia would be like code for like, when, we're doing it again. Yes. Yes. Which I think has been, which super, I don't think we've used often in the moment, but sometimes after we've been like, that was a mangadamia. It is super helpful. I think to cut the tension because it's so hard in those moments when I'm obsessed with being right. Mark is obsessed with being right. We've kind of lost sight of what I rather be 
right? Or would I rather be happy? I'd rather be right and prove to you that you're an idiot. <laughs> and so we kind of started after the, man <laughs> the mangadamia incident, we started to use the word mangadamia when we felt that one person or both of us were kind of getting into that dynamic where we're like arguing for no reason or like getting into like a, com not a combative, but a debate about something yeah, that- Yeah, losing sight of the topic. Right, that we don't have like to- fight. Right, and it really- does, it really is helpful to cut the tension with because then we're like Mangadavia and it's like, God, we're doing it again. Like, and we don't want to do it. We don't want to do that stuff. I think we're just both passionate, talkative people that get warped in their own things for a bit. Something else we do well, which was a suggestion from Mark's friend who they said they, they do check-ins every, they actually call them state of the unions, which is cute. And, but they do check-ins every six every, like, months, yeah. whatever, every year. And we started doing them. And I think to combat sometimes both of our defensiveness when, you know, in the moment, it's like if you're washing a dish and I ask you to put the dish another place, it feels very annoying. But if you bring it to the table during an assigned check-in, then it, I'm, I think people are much more receptive to the feedback. Totally, especially since you're also giving feedback at that same appointment. Exactly. So, so you're kind of like both ready to give and get some feedback. And sometimes, you know, I feel like what happens for me is that Mark will say something doesn't bother me in the moment. And then all of a sudden I begin to seethe in bed <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't like that. I don't like that. I, you know what? And I never liked it. And then, but it feels, I can't really bring it up five days later and be like, Hey, about that comment. I mean, I could, but it's one of those things where it's not important to bring up in real in real time, but you want, you know, it's kind of something to keep in check. And then I will bring it to the check-in and say like, Hey, you know, this is an example of something. And most of the time it always feeds into a larger issue, which I think is great because then you can kind of remember those examples over time, but we do check-ins. And for me, it's much easier to take feedback when I know that that's the assigned situation, you know, because we both kind of give each other space to air their grievances in a kind and nice way you know mm -hmm. where we kind of talk about what's going well in the, in the relationship you know we did one at six months we did one at a year we just did one for our two year and we just kind we're of, always a little late yeah but we always check in about hey you know what's working for you especially when we lived together when we started to live together this was crucial because just adjusting to living together i mean yeah. mark brought into some mark brought into the check-ins stuff about the house that Frankly, I would have never noticed living alone or with roommates because it was different. I was living with someone that I really cared about. Right. And, and a big one that Sarah brought in that we've had to discuss multiple times is uh, that, you know, once you start to live together, you know, I have a tendency to, uh, it's like, we don't have any plans to hang out one night, but at some point along the course of the night, I get the idea that I'd like for us to hang out. And then in my mind, we're hanging out. And when Sarah's doing other things and I'm saying, Hey, do you want to, and I'm like, do you want to watch a show or something? And she's like, yeah, maybe in an hour or two. And, and I'm like hurt. And I give her like these sad puppy eyes and it's totally unreasonable because like we're two separate people who have shit to do. And you know, if we don't have any plans, I can't hold her to the expectation that we do. But if we don't check in about this every few months, I roll right back. <laughs> no, and I think that's a good I'm point. I'm a sad puppy eyes kind of a guy. <laughs> I think that's important that also the check-ins are a good place to 
set some boundaries, to set right? some expectations some for the, uh, you know, this is what the, my expectations of, of what's been going on or what I think has been going on. And this is how I want to alter it. So in the spirit of time, um, wrap up, let's wrap up, let's wrap, let's wrap it. I hope that you enjoyed. Wait, can we just say that our relationship that, that if despite we gave, all that, if, if we gave <laughs> the impression otherwise at any time, we're in phenomenal relationship and mm. you know and you have a we, hot hot chick the hottest the mm. hottest in the land and, <laughs> and you know it, we've had some issues and we've worked through them and we're probably gonna have a lot more issues but sarah's like what but um yeah they all come back to you but uh it's the best relationship i've ever been in that's why i'm in it you're sweet me too me too and you know I wanted to do this as the first episode just because you get insight into my relationship and that it's just relationships are really annoying and really hard at times, but I think they really are a place to really learn about yourself and, and it's really fun. And yeah, Mark's an awesome guy, despite how he may have come off on this podcast as like kind of a weird, Oh, but that's- a weird douche. You can't get hard. <laughs> no. and, and who girls have to fake orgasms with. Oh my god! <laughs> so, so yeah. Please follow me at Psych and the City BK on Instagram. You can email me at Psych and the City BK at gmail.com. And yeah, I'm looking forward. And please share the podcast. It's the only way that people will ever find me. And yeah, I'm just looking forward to to chat, chat, chatting away. Till next time. <laughs>